Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, this is Faye from Phase World Media. I am super thrilled to be here with my friend, my colleague, Jenny Lisk, who recently published a book called Future Whittle. And I must say that this is not one of the books that I heard, received from an email, got it, because I've known Jenny for a long time. And I just have huge respect for everything she's put into this book and you know who she is, who I got to know in the past couple of years, running a podcast, the Whittled uh, Parent Podcast, and the people she introduced on her show, and then in the past year, how much she dedicated into this book. Um, this is, remember, that wasn't just any last year, that was 2020, so she was raising her two kids by herself while writing this book, reflecting on a, a very special period of her life. So. Um, welcome, Jenny. I'm so glad you're here with me on a Saturday afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Faye. It's great to be here. And I should say in my time zone, it's still Saturday morning. So I've got my coffee here and I hope you won't mind if I continue uh, working on that while we speak. Oh, absolutely. And you are in Seattle. So you got some good coffee there. What is that you're drinking? Well, you know, I have the Costco, um, you know, big old thing of coffee that I threw in my coffee maker right before we get on this call. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Super fancy. You made it your way. Yep, um, so yep. <laughs> for anybody who's watching this, no matter where you are, if you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, my personal page, or the Face World page right now, feel free to leave questions. I always go back and kind of gather them. Maybe we'll do a follow video. Um, but I also am going to monitor my YouTube channel live um, because this is kind of a, a YouTube live, YouTube premiere situation. So feel free to chat with us there if you want. I'll try to pick up as many questions as possible. Um, so, all right, we'll get started. I gave Jenny full permission to kind of also help us navigate the conversations to, you know, what's most helpful, interesting to her as well. So, Jenny, you published this book in January 2021. Yes. Oh, oh my God. So much has happened. <laughs> so, so could you give us, I mean, we're going to talk so much about this book, your journey, you know, um, the fact that you lost your husband, you saved your family, you raised your two kids, and you found your voice as a podcaster, as an author, as a YouTuber as well. Jenny, has, you have mm -hmm. your own YouTube channel. But mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about the first two line items here. Uh, could you give us maybe like a little brief history of <laughs> basically what made you want to write this book and what is this story about? Yeah, yeah. Brief. Okay. I will try to be brief. Oh, we could talk about this all day because there are so many different aspects to it. But um, five years ago, actually right about now, five years ago last week, my husband died of brain cancer. Um, it was glioblastoma, which is a very aggressive type of brain cancer. And you might have heard of it because it's actually um, in the news over the last few years. First, Bo Biden um, died of it. And then John McCain died of it just a couple of years ago. Um, and Dennis actually got sick in, in May of 2015. And so it's, you know, going to be coming up on six years here from when this whole thing started. And it was the weirdest thing because it just, there was no dramatic like passing out or, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I've been feeling a little dizzy lately. That started the whole thing, right? And, you know, people could be dizzy for all kinds of reasons. You didn't drink enough water, you know, or whatever, right? And so, you know, he made an appointment to go see his, his regular internal medicine doctor. And it very quickly became, um, let's do an MRI. You have something very wrong with your brain. You need to go to the neurosurgeon tomorrow. The neurosurgeon says, we're doing surgery the next day. And so this was, like I said, in May of 2015, that started eight months of caregiving, 
ultimately hospice, ER visit after ER visit, multiple surgeries. I mean, I think in one point in the book, I think I made a comment that we had like four ER visits in one week. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. you know, I mean, so just thing after thing for eight months and ultimately um, he died at home here with, with hospice um, five years ago, like I said. Mm, wow. So, you know, this is a very special book because mo- most of us will probably assume and it was very difficult to write. A lot of the pieces uh, came from your journaling uh, of what happened. First of all, I was really, you know, before I read the book, I kind of want to surprise myself not to listen to all the podcasts. And I really want to kind of just immerse myself in it. It's, it's, um, I lost my dad, uh, mm-hmm. almost exactly 11 years ago. And I remember being in the hospital, being a caregiver alongside my mom. And those were pretty horrific days, like terrifying days. Mm. I just remember the worst part of it, just being, feeling so scared all the time not just the actual pain and the procedures themselves. Um, yet you wrote so much of it down, which I didn't. I, I think it was another way of, for me, it was about reading other books, <laughs> watching movies, and writing my own book at the time. What made you realize at the time that you're journaling, journaling consistently? Who was it for then? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting <clears throat> question because I didn't initially want to start the it was a carrying bridge uh, online blog, basically, which a lot of people use to you know update friends and family when there's some kind of crisis or medical situation going on. And when he was having his first surgery and we're sitting in the hospital waiting room, you know, for all these hours. And my sister said, maybe you should start a carrying bridge. And I was like, nah, like, you know, <laughs> I'll just keep sending some texts and a couple emails here and there and just kind of keep people in the loop. And pretty quickly it became obvious that that was just not going to work because we we were very lucky that we had a large number of people who really cared and wanted to you know know what was going on and and help and we needed a lot of help for a long period of time i mean 8 months is a long time and and i should say by the way we had meals delivered for the better part of a year three times a week because so many people wanted to help and uh, which was terrific. And I realized that if I started writing on Caring Bridge, that I could, you know, post an update and not be sending a million texts, right? It's just seemed, in, in the beginning, it seemed more efficient, right? I'll post one update. Anybody who wants to look at it can look at it. If they don't, that's fine. And it seemed efficient. And you can see my posts in the beginning when you read the book, they're very much more like, okay, he had surgery and he's out, and, you know, maybe he'll come home on this day. Kind of more matter of fact, you know, status update kind of thing. But as I went on, eight months is a long time and things change. And I started becoming more reflective and sharing more of what was going on, either, you know, behind the scenes or what I was thinking about or um, reflecting on this just strange situation we were in. Um, and. Also, so there are kind of multiple layers to it. I was also really being deliberate about sharing with people, um, you know, like what I appreciated that was helpful and also trying to like um, show people what was going on that they didn't need to be afraid to, you know, ask me something if they ran into me or acknowledge it. You know, you pretty quickly find out that some people don't don't know what to say um, and some people do and you know, which is, and it's totally fine because it depends on, you know, what you've experienced so far and stuff. Um, but I realized that I could share some of that and that would be helpful, um, you know, to me making things less awkward when I ran into people and hopefully to them as well. If, you know, if, um, and some people did mention that I was, you know, kind of showing people along the way some of this. So I, I think that was, was part of it. Yeah. I, now it really makes a lot of sense. And I realized that you actually did mention a caring bridge in several times in the book. Um, the fact that you don't have to send so many text messages and have to update people the same information mm. uh, every single time. I realized that caring bridge wasn't something that my mom and I had access to. There's probably some sort of a local, we we're in China at the time, is some equivalent of a system that we weren't aware of or we just didn't really think about. We don't really have that uh, support network um, mm. to us. So it was just, there's so many 
for people who are watching this, I got to say that even though we are somehow all scared of the word cancer or serious illness in general, we are all so connected these days. Uh, it doesn't even need to be cancer. And these days we have COVID and, you know, 18 million other things to worry about. So somehow just the, there's a system approach that you've embedded in your book that I found really helpful. For me, 11 years later, I, I, kept thinking to myself, wow, it would be, this is a great idea. It doesn't have to be a technology piece or, wow, I wish I did that. And, uh, mm. you, know, these, uh, you know, there's no feeling of regrets or, or pain, but rather makes me smile to realize that your book is an invaluable uh, resource to people who are facing this, who will face this. You know, at some point we all face illness, whether that's ourselves or our loved ones. Um, so, this is this is truly a labor of love. Are you oh, going to say you. something, Jen? Well, I was just, as you mentioned this book being a resource, I couldn't help but think about this, what it says right here on the very top, um, on the front. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that Dr. B.J. Miller provided a, a blurb uh, for this. And what it says right here, a poignant memoir and de facto guide for caring for a loved one. And he's a hospice and palliative medicine physician. As you obviously know, you have a picture of him behind you. <laughs> I know you've worked with him extensively and interviewed him as well. Uh, but I just, you know, it remind what you were saying reminded me, I mean, there are multiple kind of things going on in this book. And one aspect is, you know, people have, readers have told me that, um, it is in a way a guide to, you know, to help. Not, not everybody obviously has the exact same situation, but I think there's a lot that can be learned from studying other people's situations and taking what we can from them. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. And I am so proud of you to have, you know, reach out to so many people. Um, you've done your research above and beyond. If you guys go to JennyLisk.com, am I butchering that right now? I feel like everything's under JennyLisk.com, right? Yeah, J-E-N-N-Y-L-I-S-K.com. Yep. Awesome. There's so multiple ways to spell Jenny, but got to have the Y in there. <laughs> oh, that's this is the only way. I just realized I, you're really? the only Jenny I, I know. Um, uh -huh. Don't spell it any other way. Uh, oh, no. There's J-E-N-N-I and I-E and one N. and There's a lot of Jennifers in my age group growing up in this country. And so I get my name spelled differently on Starbucks cups and pizza boxes and, you know. <laughs> that's so interesting. I actually thought for a moment that's only like what we as immigrants experience because Faye will be spelled God knows uh, how many ways. And, uh -huh, uh -huh. But I nope. never thought an American name will be. All the time. And you know what? I started saying, <laughs> this is a total <laughs> diversion. But one time I called for a takeout pizza or something and, and you know, I was a Jenny, Jenny with a Y. And the person wrote Yenny, Y-E-N-N-Y. -E -N -N -Y. <laughs> okay, I guess I can't say it that way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work. Oh, you never know what you're getting. Oh, exactly. Guys, that's yep. awesome. Maybe that should be like your, your pen name or something. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, I'll masquerade that way. Yenny Lisk. <laughs> Yenny Lisk. So Jenny Lisk, it's on the screen. You guys check out her website, because I got to say, I, I have built many, many websites, you know, I've nurtured and babied mine for a long time. It is so thoughtful. There are resources and guides, not only for patients, caregivers, families, but also uh, people, you know, clinicians, people who care as well as people just even, you know, you find yourself either in or out of the situation, you find something really, really useful there. And, um, I think past, you're getting, to, yeah. Oh, sorry, are you speaking about the allies, is what I call them, the people who are, who oh, are allies, yeah. Yeah, supporting the friends, their family, their colleagues, their neighbors who are in some kind of crisis or after a death or in a critically ill situation. Um, be, and this is one of the ways I kind of wanted to give back, right? I learned so much from this tremendous support of the people around us, and, excuse me, and had people helping us in so many different ways that I started, well, after my husband died, people started reaching out to me and saying, hey, my friends, colleagues, somebody, you know, just died and have these three kids, what should I do? And I realized that I could put together some information of how to help people help their friends, how to help them be supportive. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's a big part of what I'm doing as well with some of the YouTubes, as well as some, you know, things can be downloaded um, and other information too. Mm. 
that's exactly kind of how sort of how we met. First of all, a shout out to uh, Tammy Gullerlove for introducing us. And now, I mean, with full mm-hmm. transparency, Jenny and I uh, get to speak and see each other on Zoom uh, at least every two weeks. So we started this conversation about the book, about the podcast, you know, years before. So it is such a privilege because for me, I feel like I'm really seeing a lot of the puzzle pieces, you mm. know, before they were pulled together. And mm. I want to just really address a lot of people who may be watching this right now, whether you are content creator, YouTubers, you know, podcasters, authors, there is something, and Jenny, I definitely want to hear the next part from you too, is a lot of us creating something from scratch right now feels like we're so excited. Phase one, so excited, so proud of ourselves. We can give up the weekend, nights and weekends and just do this. And then phase two is like, what the heck am I doing? Like this is (laughs) incoherent. I'm not qualified. I'm stupid. I don't, I don't deserve to do this. And, and then a lot of people comes to that point will quit you know, the families don't feel, uh, you know, like, what what is that you're doing? You can't answer that question. I don't have enough resources. I can't even pay for this software. You know, the cover isn't good enough. I'm a failure. So what is what is that process like for, for you, Jenny? Did you ever run, whether with this book or with the podcast or with the website, did you ever run into the wall or, or that feeling of what, what exactly am I doing? Or was that not, not part of your creative process? All the time. And it, this wasn't like it happened once and I got over it. No, all the time. And and I would add to your list of questions and doubts. Um, is this making a difference anyway? Is this helping anybody anyway? Right? Like I'm doing all these things. And as you know, running a podcast is a lot of work. And, um, you know, kind of the, why am I doing this anyway? Is this helping anybody? And so there's a few things. Um, well, you can't see here because it's in the other side of the camera, but I put a little envelope on my wall and I printed out, you know, sometimes I get social media comments or emails, you know, from people saying, you know, I love what you're doing. This is how it's helped me or, you know, some kind of nice and supportive comments. And you know what? I've, I've printed some of them out and I've laminated them and I put them in this, like, no, seriously, I've got all these things here. And I put them in this little envelope, like just like on the wall, right behind my desk. And sometimes when I'm like, why am I doing this? I just like, I pull these out and I read them and I'm like, okay, this is why, right? It is actually, you know, and you know that if, if you're getting a certain number of comments that are positive and supportive, then there's, that's like a tip of a, of an iceberg, right? And there's a whole bunch of people who are maybe are thinking those same things, but haven't reached out to, you know, to actually say that for whatever reason. And so that is is helpful for sure um and i'd encourage anybody to you know go back and pull out some of that stuff and think about it because it really is you know you go day after day after day late night after late night and you know just struggling to get all these things done um that's part of it part of it is you know finding myself um procrastinating i find that usually it's because i'm afraid of something afraid of failing afraid of tackling something and there was actually a um adam grant had a a text oh not a text a tweet Mm -hmm. a while ago where he talked about like unpacking what causes procrastination and so really identifying those things has been helpful and the other thing i would mention um you mentioned our mutual friend tammy gula loeb uh, she and I actually have been writing accountability partners. And so we've been meeting regularly to work on each of our books and having somebody that you can meet with week after week, you both know what each other are working on. I can't tell you how many times she kind of like talked me down <laughs> when I was like, why am I writing this book anyway? You know, maybe I should just can the whole thing. Um, and having somebody there who's familiar with what you're doing, who can be like, don't you remember? This is why you're writing it. You know, and then you go, okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Sometimes you're you need right. that outside perspective, you know? Yeah, that's so true. It's like the six, seven of us get together every two weeks to, mm. uh, you know, talk about something, to overcome something together or, or for mm. each other separately. Well, one of the things, if you remember, that came up is live streaming. And that really surprised me because <laughs> you threw out a question, Jess Lee Pang, 
just answer is like, oh, this is how you do it. And a day later, oh my God. And a day later, and for the next like month, in a few months or so, I saw you going live with OBS. For people who don't know this, it's like logo here, you know, newscasting and kind of rolling scripts. I don't even know what those things are called. And you're going live like a pro with other people. So tell tell us a bit about that. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I apologize. Yeah, I seem to have spilled my coffee. So that's the that's cause a real of my. Life. See now, people know that it's it's live live. This is not <laughs> right. Otherwise, you'd be cutting live. that out. I'd be saying stop. Let's let's edit this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so we met in our Saturday group. I didn't even know what OBS was, and and Jess was talking about using OBS, and and I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Jess, what is OBS? And so she explained it very helpfully. And I started messing around with it. And I should also say, this refers back to the previous question. <laughs> One of the reasons I, 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 w- I was procrastinating on some book rewrites that I needed to do. Like I seriously needed to, to re-engage with some pretty, massive isn't the right word, some pretty substantive revisions that I needed to get my teeth into. And I was totally procrastinating. I think I was afraid to tackle it. So I was like, oh, but I can like figure out OBS and I can figure out live streaming because that's still something productive, right? Well, I'm not doing the things I need to be doing. And so I, um, part of it is my tech background too. I I spent 20 years in corporate IT. So not practical related to this stuff, but just made it kind of fun to work on these things now. Mm -hmm. But I got it set up so that I have OBS um, is where I'm going live. And then that's hooked to Restream. And then Restream is hooked to my Facebook, my Twitter, my YouTube, and my website. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that Children's Grief Awareness Month was coming up in November, this past November. I mean, every November, but this specifically a few months ago here. And Children's Grief Awareness Month is a month when raising awareness of children's grief is a really, I think, um, it's it's an important opportunity for that. And that's, you know, my podcast is all about parents, widowed parents who are still raising their kids and their teenagers and how, you know, those parents can help and resources and ideas and information and all that. And I realized that I could go live in November and I decided to do it one or two times a day, which was kind of crazy in the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> but interviewing different, um, mostly grief centers. There are kids and family grief centers in different cities around the country and they each have programs and most of them have groups for kids and teenagers and adults. And some of them run camps in the summer and they have other resources and I wanted to be able to highlight um, each of those places. And and also, so it kind of had multiple purposes, right? Because I could go live across all these platforms at the same time, raise awareness. And then also, of course, the video got you know saved and I put it on YouTube on, on the right playlist. And then built out the resources section of my website um, to say, okay, you know, organized by state. If you're in, you know, California then here, here's Cara, you could look up. And the idea is you can then click on their page, see a short, like a 10 minute interview with, with the person who runs it and a description of their program and some bullet points about what kind of programs they have and links, of course, to all their stuff. And so as a way to um, help get the word out, and I tried to really be strategic about um, tying it back in with my website, you know, not like just doing the live stream and then having that be the one opportunity for that content to be in the world. Or, well, I guess you could say four opportunities because YouTube and LinkedIn and not LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to capture that as a kind of a permanent resource because someone spending 10 minutes talking about their program isn't just relevant on the day I interview them. It's relevant ongoing for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so building out that resource on my website to then be able to have listeners, for example, on my podcast go and say, I'm in this state oh, there's something near me. And the whole objective was to be like, oh, like watch the 10 minute video and say, they sound helpful. They sound nice. I'm going to call them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It also helped me build more connections in the field by interviewing all these people who are doing work in this this same field. Um, So I tried to really think through all the different elements of how to make it be mutually beneficial and how to make it live beyond the one... 10 minute period where I was talking with them live and be something that could be leveraged ongoing. 
I really love the fact that you're talking about this part in such details, right? We're, by the way, this is completely unscripted. It, you know, <laughs> I didn't really give Jenny a lot of the questions ahead of this live stream, but you didn't I, give me any questions. <laughs> no questions. Um, but we, you know, we, we connect all the time. And I really love how you are prompted with these questions and just kind of reacting, responding live, because for people who are considering self-publishing or you have written the manuscript and even with the editor at this point, definitely, I would say, pay close attention to what Jenny is saying and maybe reach out to Jenny directly because we are, you know, all of us are noticing Jenny's unique ability in exploring this kind of ecosystem for authors. So it's really, to me, what I learned from you and from other people I'm helping, I'm witnessing, is that, oh my God, publishing your book, like, this part is very, very hard. Writing it, putting it on Amazon, being one of the best sellers in the, in the category is a lot of work. But so many people just drop it. Like, you are exhausted, mm. I know. Or if you're not quite here yet, you know you're going to be exhausted because you will be. However, number one, like you said, Tammy, uh, as, as being a, a counterpart, a accountability partner, you know, I feel like, Jenny, when I publish my book, I want you to be my accountability partner, I know Tammy already signed up with you, but I'm just announcing <laughs> my position. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> but also, you know, I think you're so creative when it comes to reaching out, kind of lighting up the networks around you. Because so one person can, all of us can argue, and this is a very personal story. You could easily make it about all about you, your two kids. That's it. Maybe mm. your sisters and your, you know, um, Denny's families. That's it. But instead, you really broaden the, the the reach and the connections between this book and the communities and all these organizations, charities. And I feel like everybody, no matter what book you're writing, that's what you should be thinking about. It is giving, mm. sharing your platforms. You can't really see. I'm kind of proud of this. Like, rise by lifting. Nice. Yeah, rise by lifting. Nice. That's uh -huh. what I this for you, but even though I wish that you can see more of it. Yeah, I know. That's the problem with the camera with the, but yeah. <laughs> that's what you're doing. And you can feel uh -huh. knowing I'm wearing this. And uh, I think that's what you're doing. And if you guys want to explore something with Jenny, I feel like that this is really the hidden gem. Um, so bravo, oh, really you. great job. So much Thank work. you. Well, you know, it, you're absolutely right. I guess, you know, to underscore that point, I mean, having a book that ends up something you can hold in your hand is, is critical step one, but it's important to realize it is only step one, right? That, I mean, the writing it and getting it professionally edited and having a awesome cover design and thinking through like, like that is the critical, but it's so much not sufficient to like launch your book into the world. I mean, it's like, it is enough to get the book in your hands. Yes. But how many other people's hands, presumably you want to get it into lots of people's hands. Right. So that's the whole other side of being an author. And a lot of authors I hear don't like they have an aversion to marketing or something of you know, selling or talking about themselves or talking about their book or whatever, but it's, <clears throat> you know, getting the book on Amazon is, is the easy part. It's what are you going to do with it from there? How do you get that book then into people's hands? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, starting early and being strategic about, you know, who is going to read this book and how do I reach them and how do I reach the people who can reach them um, is really important to keep in mind all throughout the process. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's an important, you know, I had somebody reach out to me the other day who said, um, my book is launching in two weeks and, um, I'm, I don't, I'm launching it myself and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I was like, uh, <laughs> well, if it's launching in two weeks, it's a little late to be asking this question, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. When would be uh, the right time to think about it? When did you start thinking about the audience who to reach out to? Well, you know, I started really early. When I started my first draft, wow. I started talking about it. Mm -hmm. And part of that was to keep myself accountable. And part of that was to have people know what I was... I didn't want to drop a book on the world and be like guess what? Now I wrote a book, here it is. And have, and nobody's heard anything about it yet. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the things that I was really frustrated about in 2019, I kept thinking, I'm going to start writing and I'm going to start writing. And, you know, as I had the caring bridge to start with, right. And I had to start writing the writing all around it, you know, the reflections and the other stuff. And I kept thinking, I'll carve out an hour here and an hour there. And it just wasn't happening. And I got super frustrated. And so finally in the summer of 2019, I said, you know what, August, I'm clearing my calendar. I'm not going to do any podcast episodes. I'm going to cancel everything I possibly can. And I'm going to write a thousand words a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to post about it on social media every day. And I'm going to say, I wrote 1,002 words today or, you know, whatever. Or today I wrote 1,239 words or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, And there were two purposes to that keeping myself accountable was a huge part of it because I didn't want to, you know, have to post and say, well, I didn't write anything today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and so there were, right now. what's that? I'm taking notes. I got to start doing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I said, and you know what? And here's the thing. I had no idea if a thousand words a day for the month of August was going to be enough too much. Right. Like, but I knew it would get me started. Mm-hmm. And I knew that at the end of August, I would have a bunch of words and I would either say, okay, I need to do X amount more, or I would say, no, I'm done or whatever. But I knew that if I didn't put a stake in the ground, I would never get started. Mm -hmm. And so I got to say, every day except one, I did do, and and that day I I just, I was like, I can't do this. And the next day I did 2000 words and then I posted on social media. Okay. Yesterday I did nothing, but today I did 2000 words and you know, kind of like, forgive me, you know, like, did people respond uh, to that? Did people like, Oh, you know, keep going. Yes. People were super supportive, super supportive. Wow. And this was then also part of, you know, talking about what you're doing early, right. Mm-hmm. Is starting in August of 2019, I've had people who've been, you know, following along on social media saying, I can't wait till your book comes out. I can't wait to read it. Um, you know, being supportive. And when I would post, you know, I wrote X number of words today and it was awesome. They'd be like, yay, way to go. And I would post like, oh my God, I got 1000 words exactly. And this was so <laughs> awful. Then they would be supportive, you know? And so knowing that, that these, you know, friends and colleagues and people were following along and being supportive was, was super helpful to the process. Um, and like I said, has resulted in a, a lot of people who've, who've been looking forward to reading it. And it's been so great to, you know, I've been hearing from a lot of these people by email or by text or by social media message since the book came out last week. Um, people who I know, you know, I remember were following along a year and a half ago and now have said, I got it. And I, I sat down, I read the whole thing in one sitting and, you know, I love this or that or whatever. And, and, you know, congratulations. Um, it's been so great to hear, you know, kind of close the loop a little bit, like these early supporters, you know, yeah. to now see that, like, I did finish, first of all, <laughs> and then they read it and, you know, we're super kind and supportive about it. It's been really great. Okay. I got, I got like so many follow-up questions. I'm trying to distill to two. <laughs> okay. Which, yep. When we say social media, I know we're all on different platforms. And so, you know, Facebook usually is more friends and family, LinkedIn's more professional network, but um, you know, which of the platforms and Twitter too, uh, probably not Twitter. I don't know. But which of the platforms do you find most warm and fuzzy that people are most engaged in the context of, you know, what you just talked about writing your book? Well, yeah, I don't know if I'm a good example about this or not. Some people will say pick one platform or one or two platforms and, you know, hit those hard. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to do that. I hit all of them. So I, I, you know, and you can copy paste stuff right across, but you know, so I, and it, uh, Facebook has been huge because a lot of my, you know, new friends, old friends, nearby friends, far away friends, you know, lots and lots of people that I'm connected with in lots and lots of ways are all on Facebook. And so I wanted to make sure that I was keeping them up to date on what was going on. Instagram is for like the widow community and more broadly speaking, the grief topic and grief community. Instagram is huge for that. There's a lot of posts and hashtags and people active there. So I didn't want to leave Instagram out. In fact, I hadn't been on Instagram at all until I started the podcast. So I had to really catch up and learn like what to do on Instagram. Mm. Um, But I really didn't want to leave that out because there's a lot of important for my topic there. Um, I I do Twitter as well because 
there's a lot of um, good information there. And I try to do like, like retweet like three other people's other posts that are related to the topic and then tweet one of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I try to do a balance there and then LinkedIn as well because of all the professional connections. And it's interesting because in the beginning, my professional connections on LinkedIn were entirely people from my old life in corporate IT. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm posting all this like grief stuff and podcast stuff and they're not going to be interested in in that. It felt a little weird at first. Um, But over time, I've still got all those people obviously I'm connected to, but more and more people I've met like through the entrepreneurial world, as well as people I've met through the grief world, people who run grief centers and other people I'm connected to professionally in the field. And I've come to realize that even all those people from my old life that I thought might not be interested, mm-hmm. actually a lot of this is relevant for them too, particularly the allies piece of how they can be supportive, right? And and then now that we're in a global pandemic and grief is so much more in everybody's mind, you're, excuse me, you're starting to see it more and more talked about on LinkedIn and other places as well anyway. Mm. Um, I am on, and so you asked, your question was about social media platforms. I'm messing around a little bit here and there with Pinterest. I haven't, um, really done a very consistent job with that, but I'm, it's kind of lower on my priority list, but I do feel like since some of my stuff, like, you know, quote cards and interviews and the short audio, 30 second audio clips and things would be a good thing for Pinterest, but I haven't, um, really done too good of a job with that one. And then it is on my list to get on TikTok. <laughs> and as you know, I put out one short video on TikTok, uh, which was just um, like opening the box of my books. It's like, yeah, you know, unboxing. like a little clip of my books, you know, unboxing, like a 10 second unboxing clip. Um, I haven't really decided, you know, which way I'm going to go. But it, I would just say for people who are listening and thinking this is crazy, it's all 15 year olds. There's a whole like all these hashtags of like Gen X TikTokers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bigger than you think, as you know. Um, and I think it would be an interesting thing to experiment with and a fun thing. So, um, I mean, that's big shout probably out coming this year. Right. I mean, it wasn't for you. I wouldn't even think about putting Dr. BJ Miller on TikTok. I mean, you mm-hmm. even just, you just said it during our get together. And when you said it, I too was thinking this is for 14, 15 year olds doing all kinds of dance moves mm-hmm. only, mm-hmm. but you said, mm-hmm. You said to me, it's like, Faye, check it out. Check out Gen X TikTokers. There were mm-hmm. like 60, uh, some some millions of people there. Mm-hmm. And we looked up hospice, palliative care. And there was a whole community, nurses, uh, uh, social mm-hmm. workers, doctors. And there was mm-hmm. like something called doctors, TikTok doctors. So there is mm-hmm. sub, like I almost said subreddits, but there are definitely <laughs> niche interests in, in it. Yeah. And um, so I, I think it's, just wonderful. As you know, that um, Dr. Miller's account has only been around for two weeks. And yesterday we went over, you know, 12,000 views, 12,000 nice. views on nice. mostly rounding a few videos. So uh-huh. it's so wonderful. That's awesome. I have a book. Yeah. Thank you. I have a book related question, follow-up question, mm-hmm. because you talk about your routine, which is fantastic. You know, guys, if you're thinking, of, if you're single or otherwise, but look, Jenny has two teenagers. There are so many, even though, you know, I'm so glad they're kind of older now. You don't have to like babysit them and, and kind of create a schedule for them necessarily. But still, you know, you got other people other than yourself to care for. Um, mm-hmm. So I can imagine once you finish writing the book, a draft, at what stage did you choose or realize like, okay, let me hire a professional editor because that's like the stuff I'm struggling with because I don't know at what shape. So I think I'll do a rough draft without criticizing myself, which means I'll never finish criticizing Mm -hmm. myself. I'll do a reread or edit, self-edit, and then I probably will work with an editor. At what Mm -hmm. point, you know, did that come about for you? Like, what was the timeline like? Mm. Yeah. Well, I always knew that I, that, you know, that was part of the plan to hire an editor. Eventually I didn't want to not have it be as professional as possible. Um, so I, like I said, I did the first draft in August of 2019 and then for various personal reasons and, and podcast related reasons, I kind of let it sit until like spring of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, and also I get frustrated cause I kept thinking, oh, I'll squeeze in some time to work on some rewrites. Oh, I'll squeeze in some time. And then the same thing as the year before I never was squeezing in time. Right. Mm-hmm. And then finally I decided like about April, May, maybe I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I think it was May. I'm like, I'm going to clear May like I did last year and try to just focus on this. And I decided this time I was going to make YouTube video updates of status. Like the first time around I had done just social media written posts, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe this time I'll make a YouTube that says, Hey guys, it's, this is my writing update for May 3rd. And here's what I did today. Um, that had mixed results. I think not as many people watched the videos because, um, you know, it's easier when you're scrolling by quickly to, to read a little short update than it is to, even if the video is only two minutes. Right. But it was still building up some content for my YouTube channel. And I embedded those videos on the, the memoir page on my website so that if people were looking at that, they could see the latest writing update, you know, video from me, which I think was, was that part was a nice touch. Um, but your question was about hiring an editor. So then I spent like May and June. I, I, I wanted my, my kind of exactly what you said, get it as good as I can get it on my own mm-hmm. and then hand it off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, you know, I, I, I did revisions. I, um, interestingly, okay. I think I've got it in this stack over here. I got to tell you guys this book, John Truby, the anatomy of story. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. This book was so, so, so helpful. Um, somehow I stumbled across it. And well, actually, I know how I stumbled across it because from you, I heard of Joanna Penn and from, and I've been listening to her podcast obsessively, right? And read some of her books from Joanna Penn. I learned about another author friend of hers, Nick Stevenson, who has a whole bunch of other author resources and stuff. And from him, I stumbled across some blog post, which led me to this book, oh, right? Look at that. So, and, but it, so anyway, the, the book is called The Anatomy of Story and it, it's a, it's a, long, small print book that really has to be studied. It's not a quick read, right? Mm -hmm. But it really dissects um, how you tell a story. And the one thing I didn't want was for my book to be like, this happened, this happened, this happened, the end, Mm -hmm. right? I wanted it to somehow have, you know, be put from a big picture perspective, make sense, tell a story, right? And one of his points is that, so he's actually a filmmaker, but his point is that the principles of storytelling apply in filmmaking and in novels, which makes sense a novel as a fictional story. But memoir too, mm-hmm. even though memoir is true, you still have to tell a story. So you don't have the flexibility in a novel. You can make up a character or make up a action or something, right? In a memoir, you have to stick to the facts, but you still have to tell it in a way that's compelling. So I paused all rewrites, read this book, took all these notes and I've actually, if I could turn my camera around, which I don't think I can, I've got on the wall up here, crazy, wall. all these index cards. What <laughs> is it called? The, like a, like a crazy wall. <laughs> oh, you know, it's all the, it could be. I've got all these index cards because he's got like 22 story steps or something. And I, I made a card and I'm like, okay, this is the, you know, the battle and this is the self-revelation and this is the attack by the ally. And you're know, like, the, That's the, perfect. The, and, and so, and I put them and I mapped, like I thought about what do I already have in the book mm. and map them to the cards. And then what am I missing? What have I forgotten to cover that would flesh out, you know, this aspect or this wow. aspect or help me tell the story better. Right. So I did all these things with the cards and then I really, then I picked the the manuscript back up, mm. really grappled with, does the story hang together from a big picture perspective or the themes developed you know, I, like, to, and, and that, all that stuff. And then I got so fed up with it. I wanted to do like one more round of improving it. Yeah. But I was like, this is again, you asked earlier about doubts. I was like, I don't know, maybe I should just scrap the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> and, then, yeah. And so, yeah, and so then I was like, okay, you know what? If I don't get an editor engaged right away, I'm at risk of scrapping the whole thing. Why don't I just like get an editor and... Like, even if I I wish I could do X, Y, and Z before I hand it off, because maybe there are still some things I could do to make it better. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am not going to be able to do that. I just need to give it to somebody else. Somebody else needs to get involved here. Yeah. And I, so I sent it to the editor and then I was like, okay, but before you even start, like, is this even going to help anybody? Because if it's not, then I don't want to do it. And she was like, oh my gosh, yes, it's definitely going to help people. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. So then, then she, then I started working with her. Um, on the editing process. And so that was, I think we started working together uh, you know, last summer. I don't know if it was like July, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
approximately, give or take. How long, How long for for her to return revisions? What what was that? I guess my question is: a lot of people are thinking there are a lot of editors out there. How to actually find a good editor who mm. works well with you? And what is that process like at a high yeah. level? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think a terrific resource is Readsy. Readsy dot com. R e e d s y dot com. Um, it is basically a I don't know if portal is the right word. It's a a portal for finding and hiring freelance people who do different things related to books. So editors for one. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like if you need a proofreader, um, if you need a cover design, if you need somebody to do the interior formatting of the book, I believe there's also a category for like marketing kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, as, as the author, you can go in there and you'll create a free profile you know, log in, whatever. And then you can get into their search tool Mm -hmm. and you say, I'm looking for an editor and someone who does memoir. It's also very important not to just be like, oh, like, you know, your friend has an editor and they like their editor, but your friend wrote a business book and you wrote a memoir or, you know, something else different like that, right? You really want somebody who has experience and expertise in the genre you're writing in, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can say if you're looking for, um, you know, what, what genre, and then also there's like U.S. English or U.K. English, you know, because there's variations. Um, and then you can see all these profiles of people who are very experienced. Um, most of them have seem seem to have you know prior experience in big publishing houses and things, and they put on there like these are some of the books I've edited. And, you know, and some real dis- quick as you're talking. Oh, yeah. About too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And you probably won't be able to get into the actual search tool since you probably don't have a login set up. Right. Um, Here, I, I, as you're talking, I realize, wow, look at the, all this designers, publicists, marketers. Right. Right. People. Yeah. I wonder if you can click on view profile on some of those people, if they'll let you see it without being logged in. Let's check it out. There you go. Um, yeah. So here, you, when this person's probably newer because they only have two reviews, but if you scroll down, you'll see they've written an overview, mm. you know, of the kind of stuff they work on. Right. So they say they're experiencing young adult fiction. You know, here's some testimonials. If you scroll down, you can probably see um, some other books they've worked on, the genres, you know, the book might, let's use a literary agent for some literary agency, right? Some of them you go through, I mean, this person looks newer, but some of them will say, you know, I spent, you know, 15 years at this big, you know, publishing house, whichever they name it, you know. And then, yeah, so they, they have a portfolio there, some other work. Um, and you can, then you can go through and you can say, okay, I would like um, to put in a proposal with, I think you can pick five of them. Mm-hmm. I'm stop so you pick, you, you know, yeah, based on, what you read in their profile and what sounds, you know, like the kind of person that might be a good fit for you. And you can look at some of their other work and you can pick, I think it's five. And then you submit, I think they call it like a design, a brief or something. And Mm -hmm. so you say like, you know, here's my book, here's the working title, here's what it's about, here's who it's for. You can upload like a sample, like your first chapter. Mm -hmm. um, And then you submit it. And you can also say, if you want to say like, I have these requirements in terms of budget or timeline. You can put mm-hmm. that in as well, or yeah. you can leave those out. I left those out because I, I, did, I wasn't sure what was realistic, right? <clears throat> um, and you submit it, and then the people get back to you over the next like day or two. I think I got, you know, the first person, I think everybody had gotten back to me by the following day. Wow. Um, yeah. And like one of them, two, two of them said, you know, they gave me a bid and they said they could do, you know, do the work and this is their process and how they work and what they charge and whatever. One of them said she wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. One of them, I think, didn't get back to me. And I forget about the last one. Anyway, and then you can, like, if if none of them work or whatever, you can go back and ask for more. Mm. So um, what was it, you know, your your book, I would like to say the, the lengthwise is fairly standard. I would say about maybe 60,000 words or so, 250 pages. Um, I think it's about 50,000 words. Yeah. 50,000. Okay. So what was it? I mean, the draft, was the draft much, much longer or more or less the same? And how long it did was it was about take? the same. Okay. Yeah. How and we didn't, she, working with the editor, she didn't like, cause I, I tried to have it in pretty good shape before, 
I brought somebody in because I wanted to be more efficient and more cost effective, right? I didn't want to go to somebody with a draft that was like twice as long and then needed cutting down and needed more work and more time and more money. And more. like, I thought I, I you know, yeah. I ought to be able to get this in reasonably good shape. Mm-hmm. And then I can use an editor, you know, who can help me like bring it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And of course, make sure everything was correct in terms of Chicago manual of style and all that stuff. Like, so there's different levels. So we did two passes through the, through the work. The first pass was, and so this is like, you know, I sent it in Microsoft word. Um, By the way, I wrote it, it was Scrivener, which a lot of authors like to use, but then you export it to Microsoft word from there. And usually when you work with an editor, you have it in word because you can do the track changes and the, and the markup stuff. Right. Um, So she went through and, you know, at that point it was mostly like, okay, this part, I love this part. This is good. Um, this part needs, you know, some more explanation, you know, this part, maybe I'm confused. Are you trying to say X, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this part, you know, ties with this other part. So do you want to do blah, 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 whatever. Right. So lots and lots of comments in the margin with, you know, either this is great. Keep it like this, or you might want to flesh this out or, or as a reader, I'm confused about this. Maybe you can rework the paragraph to make sure you've, you're not leaving the reader with questions, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, so then she handed it back to me. And so then going through that required a lot of thinking on my part because, yeah. and a lot of it too, to then this, this, you know, when you're working with a writing a book, you've got the big picture and the, detail at the same time right and you, I, I didn't want to get lost in the detail of one paragraph and lose how that connected to the overall right, right. so it took me a lot of time to um and I'm just realizing it's almost three o'clock are you uh, are we running out of time here oh I know I was like getting into it I'm like I'm gonna text my mom's gonna yell lunch in like a minute but <laughs> no with that said this part is really good I, I'll tell her I need like five more minutes but please okay finish your well, we could go on for five more hours but <laughs> I know easily well there'll be part two guys let yeah yeah too. Yeah. Um, so where was I? Oh, just, you know, I, I didn't really want to just like dive in and start typing in changes without really like trying to get a sense of the whole of what she was saying and how maybe what she was asking here relates to what she's asking 20 pages later relates to something at the end and like how to, you know, how to make sure that from a big picture perspective, it still works. So it took me a while to kind of like yeah. Let it marinate a little bit and then go through and start, you know, and kind of methodically, you know, like every time I addressed uh, one of the things that she raised, then I would, sometimes I commented back. We had kind of a dialogue going in the comments, right? Mm, <laughs> like, nice. because I sent her, sent it back to her with, um, you know, with my changes and my comments, right? And so then sometimes I would write like, well, I'm not sure about this and ask another question back or whatever. And sometimes I would go ahead and handle something, you know, <clears throat> so it was that kind of level. Um, and I sent it back to her and then, and then she went through and did a final, like, you know, this part maybe needs some rewording because you use, you know, the word, this word here. And again, too soon later, like you don't want to repeat the same, you know, or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. cleaning up the Chicago being used by the way, like all the back What's and that? forth. Uh, I was wondering if you use Google Doc instead of Word, you know, Microsoft Word with all the back and forth and real, you know, real time exchanges. We use Microsoft Word. Um, Is there a reason for that? <laughs> I think a lot of editors like to work in Microsoft Word. Gotcha. I don't know. Um, and, you know, I didn't really need to see like what she was doing in real time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I needed, you know, like, you know, whatever her process was for going through the whole thing. Right. you know, then it would make sense. Like if I started looking at it while she was doing stuff, it might even confuse things more. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <clears throat> you know, when she finished her piece of work and handed it back to me, then I could consider as a whole what she was sending back to me. Right. Mm-hmm. How long was that process like? The, I mean, again, your, your draft was really clean, very thoughtful, very organized. What was that back and forth final editing process? Like three weeks, three months? Um, I think all the way through the two rounds was about six weeks, maybe. Okay, two rounds, five, six weeks. Five, something like that. I, the, and the first round was longer. And part of that was my time mm-hmm. too, right? Maybe it was, like, I think the first round she got back to me in a week or so. Mm-hmm. 
But then I took some time to like assimilate and figure out what I was going to do with it. And also as an author, like, you know, you feel like, okay, you get through the draft and you hand it off and you're like, okay, it's off my plate. You know, then you get it back and you're like, I had to get back in the right frame of mind for like, mm-hmm. you know, and as you said, it's like a personal and deep you know, topic that it's not just like writing something that I could just dash off. I had to get in the right frame of mind to re-engage with the text. Right. right? So that part of it too, added some time to it. And then I, I feel like the, the, the second round she brought back pretty quickly because professional editors, I mean, they can, they know their Chicago manual of style and they can go through and they can go boom, 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 boom. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I had to re-engage with it again, although it was easier the last time because there were, the changes were more, I could see, okay, I like this wording she proposed or I don't, or I like it, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. Right. And, but still I, and I went through it multiple more times, top to bottom of like, we kind of joked between us about how I, you know, I was obsessing over every single word in the, in the 50,000 words of text, but I was because I, you know, I didn't want it to, if some word is wrong, it could change the whole vibe of everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, this is, Definitely, you're mentally preparing me for for this. I know some editors have very different styles. Some sounds like in your situations about uh, probing and also kind of uh, making you think differently, think more, or or reconsider certain scenarios. Whereas some editors, if they have ghostwriting experience, you know, maybe they will they will come in and kind of revise it all together. I've heard different styles of these editors and I'm trying to mm. process like what will work better for me. Um, so this is all very, very helpful. And to kind of wrap up um, our hopefully part one of this conversation here, I would love for you to maybe share with us what you've learned in your journey just as a creator, whether it's writing this book or podcasting, that what is something that you learn perhaps that are often not talked about where some of the people who are just starting out don't don't realize that just yet and Mm. you know while you're thinking about that for example like I to me for example is um that there's kind of no written path like that's something I realize even if both of us are running a you know the whittled parent podcast or something of a similar genre still for me like you know we have to kind of find our own path um, instead of following kind of this, that there's this blueprint or following this compass all the way to success. Like, what was that something mm. that you learned? You know, I think that it's critical to keep in mind the big picture on all of these things. And by the big picture, I mean, like, depending on what it is you're working, like who, who's my listener or who's my reader and why are they going to want to read or listen? And and then the big picture of like, how do I reach them? Like that then informs so much. Like if, you, if you're in the details of like, you know, should I invite this guest to my podcast or not? Or how, what content should I make sure I include in my book? Or, you know, should I do a video on this topic or whatever? Like if you, if you really have a solid understanding of the bigger picture of like who's listening or watching or reading and why, mm-hmm. and then it helps you make those decisions. Like, yeah, this guest would be a good fit for my listeners or this topic, even though there's a gap, I haven't covered this topic yet. And I know that because I know who I'm doing this for. Um, and I think it's easy to get lost in the, in the weeds of even like, you know, people reach out to me for advice about starting a podcast, right? It's very easy to get lost in like, what kind of microphone should I get and who should be my hosting provider and how do I send my emails? And those are all important things that have to get decided. But if you don't have the, the fundamentals of like, how you're approaching this and, and for who and why it's really hard to then make those other decisions. And I think that not losing sight of the big picture is, is critically important, whichever type of content creation you're doing. Mm, this is so well said. And that's something I notice about your big picture as I'm reading part of your bio, uh, you know, Jenny's passion about helping widow parents increase their family's well-being you know, I feel like that is kind of your North Star, right? Mm, or do mm. you think there's a different big picture North Star that you have in mind? No, I think that hits it right on the head. And in fact, I've, I've got that taped right here on the edge of my monitor, right? I mean, Ooh. because that is, it does, it's kind of the umbrella for everything yeah. that I'm doing. And then if something that I'm doing fits or doesn't fit in that, it makes it easy to decide, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, 
stressing about a lower level decision in the absence of that bigger vision isn't exactly the right word, but you know, direction, Mm. Um, you know, if you have that direction set, then it's easy to evaluate if things do or don't fit in that. Whereas without, you know, missing direction, it's, it's easier to, I think, flail about. Mm. This is awesome. I, I, uh, I have a number of stickers, but I almost feel like in front of, you know, on my iMac, but I'm already thinking about revising some of that and, and just having that to me, like having that North star understanding what I'm doing and, and for whom, and that is super helpful. So Thank you so much, Jenny. I really hope people who are watching this, whether you are publishing something or you know someone who's working on that, many of us are writing books, especially people who are watching Phase Rural Media in general, definitely think about you know reaching out to Jenny and figure out like which part of the process, whether it's finding your big picture or maybe it's live streaming related. She's really become a pro and also just self, not just self-publishing, but self-promoting, marketing your book the right way in 2021. Um, please, you know, reach out to Jenny. There's just so, so much she can really teach you and kind of mentor you through. Can I just add, and thank you, by the way, uh, add one thing because it is still January and I'm doing a, a launch month uh, special offer because I really want this book to get into as many people's hands as possible. And I'm, it's a BOGO offer, which in this case is buy one, give one. Yep. And so for anybody who buys the book, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstore, ebook, paperback, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'll right. say I can, uh, you can request a free um, download. Yeah. Actually, if, I think if you click on that buy one, give one circle there. Yeah. Right here. Right there. Yep. You can request a free ebook download that you can send to any friend, anybody you want. Um, you don't have to give me their email address. You just fill out this form that Faye's showing here and I'll send you a code that you can forward. Um, and I really wanted to, you know, I feel better about this. A lot of people like drop the price to 99 cents or something for a launch special. And I thought, you know what? I think my listeners are going to want to be able to share this with people mm-hmm. in their lives that they think might learn something or might, might you know, enjoy. Is kind of, I hate using the word enjoy because it's a book about Mm-hmm. grief but you know people have have told me they enjoyed it so I guess I can use that word I don't know point being um I want to make sure people know that I'm doing this for the for the whole month of January it was going to be a launch week special initially but there's been so much happening in the world in the during my launch week I would recommend by the way not launching a, a book during a national insurrection because <laughs> it's a not a great week to be launching a book but Anyway, I extended it for the whole month because I want to make sure people do have a chance to share it with um, with others. This is so awesome. Thank you, so Jenny. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. And I have so many more questions, but hopefully I'll ha- have you back on my live I'd love stream. to. Anytime, anytime. Thank you so much, Faye. This has been so fun. Great way to start my uh, start my day here. This episode of the Face Rural Podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World Podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor Alina Ahmedova, and lastly myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>